Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop Old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, let's get to the weekend. But first things first, we've got a lot of stuff to cover today. I want you to meet uh, a young lady by the name of Lee McGowan. She is known in social media circles as Politics Girl. I love Politics Girl. And it takes a lot for me, a gay man, to even say that. But I do love politics, girl, and I think you should as well. I'll introduce you to her. We also have a new congressional candidate. We're going to talk with Jerrica Richardson a little bit later about why she is jumping from Cobb County Commission to Congress. First things first, though, speaking of Cobb County, lots of headlines out of Cobb County today. We're going to start with uh, Becky Gaunt, freelance writer and contributor at the Cobb County Courier, who was covering last night's Cobb County School Board meeting. Becky, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So I'm reading your article, which we'll share today in the show notes at ronshowetl.com, also on our social media at ronshowetl on Facebook and Twitter, literally shoving matches <laughs> to it, at a school board meeting. What what was going on? So it, it, it got a little crazy. It was a change in policy that, that triggered that. So pretty much the longstanding policy, the, what, how they handle the limited number of public comment spots is that they open the online sign up 30 minutes before you have okay. to be there and they have a laptop and what, and what has been the ongoing practice that I have observed um, and not seen any, any change other than COVID COVID they did outside a little bit. Right. Um, so people, when, when, when things are tense or there's controversial issues um, you know, the, the line tends to start early. So uh, yesterday, the line for uh, the sign-up to, to speak at public comment for the evening session, they started getting in line roughly around four, maybe a little bit later. And I was actually there for the whole process because I there was a rally out in the parking lot. So I sat in the lobby and I was actually kind of you know, working on the article a bit at that point. So I was there for the whole process. These people were in line for two plus hours. Mm -hmm. um, and abruptly at 6.30 when the sign-up was supposed to start, uh, District employees suddenly grabbed the laptop, went outside, abruptly took, set up a table and moved it out there, which caused just absolute pandemonium because a lot of people had come out last night because of all the tensions over the books and the issues going on in Cobb. Mm. And it basically the table got rushed by people who had not been in line and the people who had waited for two, over, two hours, you know, obviously <laughs> expected to get back into their spot and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it got it got pretty ugly. There was a lot of yelling and, and shouting, and and uh, and and the crowd got there. There were, there were a couple of people that had jumped in the line. Uh, there was one man in particular that was being particularly uh, rough and shoving people. Um, uh, you know, one person reported getting shoved into the table. Um, uh, there was a student in the line who he shoved out of the line. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was an ugly scene and really unnecessary wow. and. So, so did that gentleman get to speak? Do we know his name? Do we know who this this person was? Uh, he, checking students. Uh, we don't know who he was, um, he, uh, but he no, he did not manage to secure a spot. I will say of of all the people that end up speaking last night, only two of the line jumpers actually managed to to right. get spots. All so right, good deal. So, but it was a totally unnecessary scene out there that just you know, was not. Didn't need to be created at so all. Let's remind folks why things are so tense up in Cobb County right now. The school superintendent, who seems to have some aspirations beyond being a school superintendent, uh, is target is being targeted by those who oppose uh, sudden book bans, the Katie Rinderly uh, termination situation, uh, and and we found out you you broke the story actually that 
that the school board actually circumvented its own policy to ban two books just because someone from Libs of TikTok reached out to them. And by the way, for those who don't know, Libs of TikTok is a poorly named uh, function in that they're not Libs, uh, but they like to, I guess, parody Libs. So, so, so tensions were already high. There was this rally you said beforehand from folks who were looking to have the school superintendent removed, correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. So the so it started with the rally um, outside for the removal, and well, I'm sorry, can you ask that question again? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I didn't I'm, get a lot of sleep last night. I lost my train of thought. Yeah, no, no, I, I just just kind of want to lay the table a little bit for for why things were so tense at this school board hearing that there okay, you know, there so, were folks showing up with you know uh, t-shirts that you know proclaim they want him removed, and then all of a sudden you have uh, I, I see a lot of gray hairs uh, holding signs, yeah. handmade signs. <laughs> to keep Ragsdale uh, at the same time. So what brought all this on? Right. So uh, so what had happened was earlier in the week, um, uh, Jennifer Susco, she's she's an activist who re- who frequently attends the meetings, and she, she used to be uh, an employee for Cobb County School District. Okay. Uh, she and another activist and, and also a parent, um, Melissa Martin, and a few other people, they've come together. They put together something called the, the uh, Cobb Community Care Coalition. Right. And their goal is basically to push back – a uh, against what they see as you know major issues in the district, and and they are not happy with uh, Ra- Superintendent Ragsdale's uh, leadership. Mm. So they had planned this replace Ragsdale rally, um, and once that got out, um, as has happened on in previous um, when there's been previous events planned, the word gets out on social media, and and so naturally people showed up in support. Which, mm-hmm. which typically happens. Um, so it, it, they were outside. They, they had a little area that was, this was also a first. They were kind of set aside on the edge of the parking lot rather than no, normally people kind of like right in front of the district entrance. But I, I, as far as I know, I don't think that caused any issues. The, the rally went over there to, mm-hmm. the, to the area set aside. And then eventually some counter protesters in support of Ragsdale uh, approached and uh, the police, you know, then kind of set off, set it up so that they, the two groups were divided and, and it, it was peaceful. I mean, th- nothing really went on that people were you know, doing their own thing. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, it, 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 things really didn't erupt. People were kind of just, you know, congregating in their own groups. It, the lobby was getting increasingly crowded. Um, once, you know, once the signup had started and yeah, the, the move oh, to. Yeah. The, the confusion the ensued outside. after that. Right. Yeah. So was there anything on the agenda that was controversial or was this just all targeted towards public comments to sort of, you know, get things off their chest? Right. So so it started out as as the rallies and then the public comments. Right. So uh, I, I, there wasn't really anything on the agenda itself. However, um, it is a routine uh, part of the meeting for Superintendent Ragsdale to do uh, superintendent remarks where he basically just kind of addresses whatever he needs or wants to address. Mm-hmm. And he actually did use, he, he I was going to say it was a good 20 minute speech, um, um, wow. kind of hit, hitting back at uh, the criticisms, recent criticisms and all the, the issues related to the books and the teacher firing and everything uh, in his 20 minute speech last night. I and see. it was, it was definitely aimed at um, many of his, his detractors and, and critics and, and whatnot. So, what is the latest we on the on the Katie Rinderly story? Anyway, we know she's been terminated, but there's actually a, an appeal going on at the state level, correct? Right. So yesterday, uh, yesterday uh, they filed the appeal uh, officially. So that's been gone to uh, the superintendent, and he has to give that to the uh, state board of education, and, and they will make the decision. 
Back to last night's meeting, there were parents and even students who spoke up, who, who came to speak up, uh, not only uh, in support of Rindley necessarily, but uh, against these uh, rapid book bans. Uh, mm-hmm. ki- kids who uh, you mentioned in the article felt like they were, uh, you know, being targeted by having books removed that sort of uh, involved them at least in a in a sense of representation. Uh, can can you talk a little bit about you know some of those uh, those those young people showing up? Uh, so yeah, so there was uh, one student in particular, uh, George. Uh, George spoke at um, uh, public comment, and uh, we actually uh, I spoke with him and his mother afterward. Uh, he actually came out to speak. He he identified himself at the meeting as um, uh, trans and gay. Mm. So he was in, speaking in defense of the book Flamer because mm. that's that is the graphic novel that is basically it, it details the events of a, a of a gay teen. It coming out in the 1990s. Right. Um, so he kind of felt like, well, if, if this book isn't welcome here, am I welcome here? He, 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 for him, it was very difficult to, to reconcile that this book that he took to heart and, and saw himself in was then deemed inappropriate and pulled from the school. And he disagreed with uh, the assessment, you know, of, of it being of a very sexual nature. And, and also uh, Jeff Hubbard, who is with the Cobb County Association of Educators. I mean, it's hard for a teacher or someone, uh, you know, in school faculty to show up to speak ill of any school board policy. But that's what Jeff Hubbard's, uh, uh, you know, organization is there to do. He was there as well. He was, yes. Uh, he was, yeah, he, he was, uh, he got caught up in uh, the mess outside because wow. he was, uh, he was uh, one of the first people in line for the speaker. So he did manage to get his spot, but yeah, he got caught up in that. He was very upset. He, he, and he gave a statement that's in the article about, about Cobb's choice to do that at the last minute. Um, and yeah, he, he, he was there to, and he pushed back uh, because the district has continually been arguing, you know, that they never uh, canceled the, the reading bowl, which, which is true. The district did not cancel the reading bowl. That was something that, uh, Ragsdale reiterated last night. And, but, but that's not the claim that the district did. It's the issue is that the, uh, volunteer media specialists and, uh, teachers dropped out because of fear. Fear. Yeah. It's, so, it's, they don't want to lose their job. If, if, if the wrong book happens to get read, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. And it was, uh, and, and, and he has shown, and, and it's interesting because he has provided, um, several emails in his attempts to contact the district and discuss these concerns and try to, you know, he, he started doing this even before Katie Rinderly was fired. Mm-hmm. He, he preemptively tried to set this up and the district has flat out told media um, in the time since that he never reached out to them, that he didn't contact them. And that's not true that he has provided the emails to media, including myself. I have the emails that he has sent trying to address this issue. So <laughs> so, so Katie, Katie's termination came about from reading a book that was, uh, I believe, purchased by a student at a book fair on school grounds. Has there been anything done by the school board to address how they're going to prevent teachers from being caught up in something like that again? I mean, that wasn't something that it wasn't a book that Katie necessarily chose. Her students chose it and they got it at a book fair that was on school property. Mm-hmm. So is the school board looking to address how a book could wind up at a book fair on school campus anyway? He, that, that was actually part of his speech last night. Um, Katie, Katie actually did purchase. She's the one who purchased the book. Okay. Um, and then the, and then the kids selected, selected it for uh, the class reading. Um, but he did bring that up last night because another one of the reports has been, and, and it's been confirmed by parents and some media specialists that mm-hmm. they were putting the book fairs on hold or potentially canceling them because 
they're afraid, um, which is another claim that the district in Ragsdale denied last night, right. um, saying, well, it's up to individual schools to decide this. Um, At their own peril. <laughs> yeah, right. But he did say, so he, he, he said the book fairs are not canceled, but going forward, he did say there will be a vetting process for the books and for the companies that, uh, that, that, that work with the school district. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, we're going to share again that article today, uh, in our show notes at ronchoatl.com. Also, uh, if you follow us, uh, at ronchoatl on Twitter and Facebook, you can see that as well. Becky Gaunt with the Cobb County Courier freelance writer covering all, all kinds of calamity up in Cobb <laughs> County. <laughs> no shortage of stuff to talk about for you right now. Huh? <laughs> Not at all. That's why I'm so tired today. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, go get some rest. Thanks for the time for joining us on the Ron show. We appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> Let's talk hockey. We'll do that next on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show Weekend Edition. Speaking of school systems, couldn't help but notice that the Cherokee County School Board used their student services Twitter account to remind folks that it's uh, Suicide Prevention Awareness Month in the month of September, at which point I have to remind that school district that their school board chairman, Rob Rick Steiner, Rick Steiner of Rasslin fame, is not very careful with his words when he's out in public. And let's remember, he was kicked out of a WrestleCon event for spewing publicly anti-trans rhetoric at a trans wrestler. And, uh, I mean, I think being anti-trans or anti-gay... When you have students in your system who may be gay and or trans, I don't know, that kind of gets back to kids who might be struggling with acceptance. But yes, it is uh, Suicide Awareness Month. Thank you for reminding us of that, Cherokee County School Board. Again, I'm going to invite you to follow me at RonshowATL on Twitter or X or whatever the hell we're calling it now. Uh, there are stories that I just do not have time to pack in today because I've got two guests and I want to thank Becky Gaunt for joining us the uh, freelance writer working with the Cobb County Courier. Earlier, Jerrica Richardson will be on uh, at the bottom half of the show. She announces her bid for Congress. Anyway, at Ron Choi TL on Twitter and X, and uh, I'll try and float some of this in today's show notes at ronchoitl.com. Gwinnett County looking at doing another MARTA referendum, and uh, Representative Rua Roman, who represents a good portion of Gwinnett County, is going to be working to uh, promote that as well. It's time to get some Mart out in Gwinnett. I mean, just an expansion into Gwinnett and in, into Cobb. Eventually, Clayton would be so huge for uh, not just mass transit, but for commute options in Metro Atlanta. There was also a, a bit of a dust up. Why uh, again? Failing to own the narrative, there was a bit of a dust up with a cop city votes activist outside city hall with Mayor Andre Dickens. Uh. Not the place, dude. Uh, so anyway, uh, we, we've shared that at Ron Choi TL on Twitter or X or whatever the hell you're calling it. But I want to pivot back to hockey talk. And I know we're not a sports podcast. And I, I would love for uh, the NHL to return to Atlanta. To Atlanta. Forsyth County, I'm not going all the way up to Forsyth County to watch hockey. And that's going to be a problem for a lot of folks. Uh, ESPN covering a story here uh, in the last few days that the NHL's deputy commissioner, Bill Daly, chiming in on league expansion and looking at the Atlanta market. 
Now, look, it's it's not my business if deep-pocketed people want to purchase a piece of property and build an 18,000-seat arena out in the middle of nowhere. If that if they want to do that with their money, bring in a team and watch it flounder and fail and, and you know not attract tens of thousands to those games, if they're doing it with their money, that's all fine and well. But they're not aiming to do it solely with their money. In fact, the majority of it would come on the backs of taxpayers, notably Forsyth County taxpayers, who can be easily wooed with renderings and big city thoughts. We're going to be a major league county. You're Forsyth County. You're well outside the perimeter, far from the majority of the population. It's not going to grow your county. Your county's already growing, actually, without an NHL hockey franchise calling Forsyth County home. So when talking about expansion, the Deputy Commissioner, Bill Daly, of the NHL said of Atlanta, I think times have changed pretty dramatically, and the market demographics have changed pretty dramatically since the first time we went there, and then again in 1999. I think a lot of bigger businesses are in Atlanta now. Well, sure, but they're not in coming Georgia. Uh, he also mentioned the location of the rink is going to be key. He says, I think that the rink location will be important with any decision to locate a franchise in Atlanta. I think if you use the Braves as an example, they struggled, as I understand it, attendance-wise for years, even though they had a very successful team on the field. Their latest stadium is in a perfect location and sells out regularly. Okay. Hang on while I correct Mr. Daly on a few of those points. Mr. Daly, it wasn't uh, a new facility or even the location that netted the Braves' average attendances of forty to 47,000 from the years 1992 to 2000 when they used the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium and then Turner Field starting in 1997. Winning and the new facility in 1997 obviously helped, but it, where it was didn't deter fans. Again, forty to 47,000. Thousand on average attendance in facilities that seated 50,000 and really weren't suitable for, well, Fulton County Stadium wasn't suitable for, for baseball. Turner Field was, but it was actually kind of built too big for 81 game seasons, as we see now with a 38,000 seat, Sun, I'm sorry, Truist Park at the Battery. Anyway, even at the Battery, fans only began outpacing the first 10 years at Turner Field after the Braves won the World Series in 2021. Winning helps. Turner had its issues, too. Again, built too big, cavernous, lack of development around it. But it could have been what the Battery in Truist Park is with a whole lot less taxpayer dollars thrown at it. In fact, I'd argue that Atlanta is actually better off with what Georgia State University is doing there now. Residents, students, retail. Oh, and a football facility, a small baseball facility, and basketball arena are either there or forthcoming. And of course, we again, with residents now and other retail options, you're seeing a grocery chain there. Ah, welcome to Publix. That's filling tax coffers and revitalizing the community. Don't get me wrong. The battery's nice. I wish it had a martyr rail from in-city out there. That would be huge. I would, use, I would go actually a lot more. I really would. Parking is not cheap and it's always a healthy hike no matter where you park unless you a top dollar to pay and park at the battery on the parking decks there. It's a nightmare traffic-wise. It, it just always will be until we get mass transit options aplenty to the battery. 
The battery's nice. I'm not going to lie. But I'd go more if I had mass transit options. We know suburbanites don't like mass transit options. So there will not be a MARTA extension from North Springs to this new hockey arena incoming just north of Alpharetta. And I'd honestly be for taxpayer dollars going to that and that only. Because that would benefit more than just hockey fans, right? All I'm saying is the brave success at the ticket gate is more about the team winning and less about where they're winning. We've noted before, outside the battery itself, which the franchise owns and rakes in the cash from at taxpayer expense, there's not been a boom in development around the battery. Property values around that area aren't outpacing the rest of the county or metro Atlanta. So who benefits? Well, the people that own the Braves do. Very wealthy people making lots of money on taxpayer subsidies. Forsyth County, you've been warned. All right, new congressional candidate Jerrica Richardson joins us after the break on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Call or text The Ron Show anytime at 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Joining me to talk about her congressional campaign, which she just launched last night in her home county of Cobb, Jerrica Richardson, Cobb County Commissioner. You are still a commissioner, right? I don't think I've missed a headline. They haven't removed you yet. <laughs> I'm still the commissioner. Yeah, I'm loving that. Uh, so for those who uh, may just be kind of catching on to this story, Jerrica is a Cobb County Commissioner who won her district, and then the GOP at the state level decided, well, let's redraw Cobb County's map so that she doesn't have a district. And in the midst of her term, they're trying to get her out. Anyway, Home rule has somehow managed to prevail so far. I know there's still some legal issues with that, but Jerrica, thank you for joining us. What made you decide you wanted to run for Congress? Absolutely. You know, the, the short answer is, is my community continuing to, to do the hard work, right? Um, basically, we've been able to be very prolific in the office out of the county, and uh, we've been doing that in partnership with, with federal level agencies, with the federal representatives and state representatives. Uh, and there are a couple more things that we really need to close out. And I figured it'd be easier to just get them done if I were right down the street in D.C. So you've been working at and with and against local Republicans, state Republicans. What gave you the appetite to say, I want to go work with Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, and Marjorie Taylor Greene? <laughs> no, that's a great question. I mean, at the end of the day, as a representative, my, my district is incredibly diverse. It's diverse. Party-wise, as far as political affiliations, it's diverse by age, by race, by religion, all, all kinds of different influences. And so we've been able to build, a, I think, a very strong coalition of, of people that really just want to put the country first. And so my goal is to bring that larger conversation, that broader, more, um, more cohesive conversation mm-hmm. to Congress. And so that's why I'm running on the platform of Together We Can. It's it's symbolic of everything that I've stood for, everything that we continue to do and push out. And we'll be doing that at the national level. But again, there are just real issues that need to be brought to the table, that need to be discussed, that need to be dis- that need to be solved. And uh, we need a champion who's going to make sure that that happens. I love the slogan Together We Can because I think it runs counter to the us versus themism that permeates the MAGA movement uh, at the local, state and federal level. Who 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 centered on Together We Can? Was this your your brainchild or did someone you know suggest that or did you craft it? Did you spend some time marinating on that? Yeah, it's uh, you know, when you think about 
as you go through life and you think about the different lessons you learned and um, what it is that you stand for, it, it, it takes quite a bit to figure out how to boil that down into something that's really easy to grasp <laughs> that many people can identify with. And it was in that exercise that I was like, you know, together we can. And I really want to lean into the fact that we have very complex and difficult issues to solve on the horizon. And it's something that I said for even running for the commission that I believe when we all come together, there's nothing that we can't, that we can't overcome, that we can't achieve, that we can't be innovative about and find solutions for. And so um, I usually kind of extend the together we can to say together we can do the hard things. I think it's... I think it's rather poignant that your campaign launches on the week of 9-11. As I mentioned a few days ago, the folks aboard Flight 93 who decided that together we can take out the hijackers included a gay college rugby player named Mark Bingham. And in an era where we're trying to decide, is it okay for someone who's gay to play at the professional level or if trans kids can play at the scholastic level, the folks on Flight 93 didn't have the opportunity to vet out who was going to participate or whether or not they were worthy. They just decided, together we can, and then decided, let's roll. Right. That's right. You got to put, you have to put solving things first. You have to put that individual experience first. So you're oh. gonna you're gonna be running against Rich McCormick, uh, who mm-hmm. uh, I you know I think we we can all say benefits from a, a gerrymandering of the state map. And that's being vetted out in court. I'm sure you're watching that. And I'm sure you, you know what it's like to, to be looking at redistricting, uh, you know, snarls, because, again, you've, you've been something of a victim of that. Uh, are, I guess you are. Are you watching this this play out in court? Yeah, we're certainly watching it. I will say that this decision was made uh, based upon the lines that they're drawn today. Hmm. Right. I, I, I live in the district. There are issues that are important to this district. Not, you know, as a commissioner, I had a chance to be really close and personal to a lot of those issues. And through a listening tour, I've had the opportunity to hear from people all around the district as well. And those things are very consistent. And so, you know, we're watching it, but that's not what's driving my decision. Mm -hmm. What drove my decision was clearly it was just to bring those issues to the forefront and to solve them and to do it building a coalition. That's going to be one voter at a time, one person at a time. That's the way that I was able to do it as the county commissioner to, to flip this seat. We had to identify people who didn't necessarily on paper agree with me. Mm-hmm. But when it came time to actually work together to get things done, we were all aligned. We, we all had we all placed a lot of value in creating a community that felt safe, uh, creating an opportunity for our families to feel stable and where people individually could lead a life of significance. It's really important in transcend party. I want to go back to your uh, your future opponent, Rich McCormick, who was on WABE earlier this year in the spring, and he talked about the the, the need for local government having more power. And yet, with yeah. the Dobbs decision, we we don't stop at we don't we stop at the state government. We don't go federal. We go state. Although there is a push for a, a federal a, abortion ban, but we don't go to the local when it comes to that. Uh, I I just I found that that quote kind of curious that. We, we stop at state when it comes to such a personal decision. And I, and I know, right. obviously, you're a woman, so I, I'm sure you have some views on that yourself. <laughs> yeah, we can certainly get into that and open up that, that box. And uh, I think it even you can expand it even further with just overall access to health care and being mm-hmm. able to make decisions about health care um, as well. But and personal freedoms and, you know, a, a lot can 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 be discussed on that front. 
Uh, but to your point about checks and balances, I mean, that is what defines uh, those are some very critical tenets of our of, of our nation, uh, both from the representation standpoint and also influences our economics as well. And so when we jeopardize or when we start to put when we start to tip those scales and take those powers out of balance, that's where we wind up with issues. You've got checks and balances across the board. And then when it comes to some of these broader freedoms, well, there's a thing called the Interstate Commerce Clause, too, mm-hmm. where we need to make sure that there is consistency as a citizen of this nation in exercising freedoms. So that's where I think the line needs to be drawn and uh, certainly happy to debate any of those specifics <laughs> later on down the road. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I mean, we're seeing this even on the Senate side where one senator from the state of Alabama is holding up military appointments because the military is deciding to give the women yeah. in their in their ranks the opportunity to exercise their right in in a state necessary for them to do so if they happen to be stationed outside in a state that isn't as friendly to their needs. Absolutely. And that puts national security at risk. Right. That's a problem. So if we haven't touched on them already, what are some of your top priorities uh, once you are sworn in and are, are working with other folks in Congress? Yeah, so there are three main tenets to the Together We Can platform, because, of course, that boils down into specific uh, policy issues. Uh, so the first one is connecting communities to power. You know, we know that communities don't feel like they um, have that access, not to their representation, not to the benefits, not to the programs. And then there's also a, a space in there to make sure that we're being thoughtful about all the communities that um, are, 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 are unique within our nation. Mm-hmm. And then the second tenet is uh, protecting our freedoms, um, which opens up to a, a whole other, like I said, a whole other dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really about protecting our freedoms. And then the third is redirecting the innovative spirit. So it's connecting, protecting, and redirecting the innovative spirit. And that is to focus on taking all of those really fantastic that fantastic energy that we hold um and and put it towards solving those generational issues i mean we, we're coming upon a crossroads where we're really going to feel the major impacts of um the you know, the economic indicators are super strong but not everyone has access to our economy mm-hmm. um access to health care making sure that that makes sense that works that there are market solutions that help to, 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 to keep that more stable as well for individuals and families. Um, and we also have the opportunity when it comes to the environment mm-hmm. and, and making sure that we're looking holistically at that. And then on the big picture scale, as far as major projects, it's infrastructure and mobility. Uh, that there, there are some projects that I'm really looking at that are going to help set the state up for the next 50 to 100 years worth of growth right. and, and make sure that our communities are stable. We know that there are dollars available, but sometimes it gets very difficult to get, that, to get those dollars to the communities and the people that really need them. And those are some of the changes that really just require having robust conversations with the federal agencies and how those programs get implemented and making sure that the language that is articulated at the federal level actually matches the language at the state level, actually matches the language at the local level. <laughs> Otherwise, you have all of these stop gaps, and then the, a, a, a great idea doesn't really manifest the things that it needs to manifest. And so, um, you know, looking at those opportunities, that is the complete view of what of the conversation that I'll be bringing to the table. 
You spoke in your, your, your first plank about connectivity. Where are you or have you had much discussion or marinated on the thought of uncapping the house? Um, I would, I, we're, we're definitely going to be rolling out a, uh, more robust platform over the next couple of weeks and months. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're, we're getting ready to really dig in onto the listening tour. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to some specifics, we'll be rolling those out, um, as a part of the website and Mm -hmm. as a part of their own unique rollout plans. So I bring that up because when you, you talked about connectivity, I think it's really hard for a representative to serve 450, 500,000 people when, you know, 100 years ago, it was about 125, 130,000 people total. And the, the, the diluting of the voice of the people in the people's house, to me, seems to be one of the issues that uh, makes it harder for we, the people, to connect with our representatives to see to it that they're not not just acting uh, on our best wishes, but also behaving. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's hard to uh, it's hard to have an impact on a representative if you are one of five hundred thousand versus one of one hundred and twenty thousand. Does that make sense? No, I, I, and I, I completely understand the thought on that, but the reality is, um, you know, we we need to have more robust conversations there, but. Mm-hmm. The reality is that access can be driven in innovative ways, right? So as a county commissioner, I represent 200,000, right? right? Creating ways in which people can access you is an intentional thought exercise. Mm -hmm. So there are people that represent 20,000 people and are still unaccessible. (laughs) (laughs) If you were to ask me what drives... Um, some of the issues that we see and, and why representation falls apart is because we don't have competitive districts right. anymore, which is a much, like I said, different conversation. Yeah. Um, but I do hear where you're coming from, and there is certainly something to be said about capacity <laughs> and whether or not that, um, yeah, that capacity is even available. Um, but I do think what contributes more so to lack of representation is that well, you don't really have to try that hard to stay in your seat anymore. That's true. And that would uh, bring up gerrymandering, which I'm sure we could talk about some other time and, and, and happy to have that discussion with you. You, you also talked about uh, the need for infrastructure spending. And, and you and I have talked before about uh, the, the lack of mass transit here in Atlanta. We're excited to see that Gwinnett County is looking at doing another referendum towards some uh, MARTA expansion. Obviously, I keep looking at the battery thinking, I sure would love to take MARTA to a ball game. And you and I have talked about that, but I mean, is, 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 is that somehow maybe in the offing? Uh, I, I know you're a county commissioner now, but even from the congressional level, is that something you might be able to put your thumb and, and wait on a little bit? Yeah, so one of the projects that I'm looking at is called the Georgia Backbone, and that would be a multi-regional project that plugs into some of these efforts that we're seeing at the local level. Mm-hmm. And it is a robust conversation that we're currently having in Cobb County as well mm-hmm. as a Cobb County commissioner. But on a larger scale, it's really making sure that we have an alliance of regional our mayors all the way down to the southern portion of our, of our state. Because honestly, a lot of the issues that we're seeing around affordability is the increase in demand yeah. for housing in the metro area because there's a, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that opportunity is falling away from other parts of the state. And so because there isn't really a balance, we're going to see an implosion on the horizon if we don't tackle it. So far as mobility is concerned, that the Georgia, the Georgia Backbone Project is something that I'm definitely uh, leaning into. And like I said, over the next couple of weeks and months, you'll see a lot more information about the different uh, policy platforms that will be there and, and certainly a lot of data that goes along with it. 
So for those that don't know, Jerrica and her family relocated to Georgia from Louisiana uh, after Hurricane Katrina, which is not unusual. They're, like I think the New Orleans Saints fan base, this has got to be their second largest TV market uh, <laughs> outside of New Orleans. But uh, I just wanted to point that out as we head into football season. We've still got a couple of games with you guys to square up on. How do, how do you balance that? You're trying to be a local and, and get nice with the folks who are voting for you, but you, you don't really hide the fact that you're a Saints fan. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like a great rivalry, right? I'm, I'm also a Georgia. Dad. It's um, it, it, for me. It's it's more on the fun side. Uh, it's an opportunity. Obviously, I, I have a lot of respect for all of our all of our teams. <laughs> Um, but I am a Saints fan, so. <laughs> it's okay. Listen, I like people that stay loyal to their hometown teams. I can appreciate that. And yeah, it, it, look, we had a we have a lot of people that came up from New Orleans. That's so true. That's probably, true. I think uh, there was one event I did where we had a Falcons versus Saints um, get together, and that was just truly fun. I mean, building using using those opportunities to build bonds, I think, are it, it's an incredible opportunity. Well, Jerrica Richardson, I wish you the best of luck as you run for the sixth uh, district in Congress. We'll be keeping tabs on you. Stay in touch and let us know if you need any help our way. Okay. Fantastic, and thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great one. Meet Politics Girl on the Ron Show back after this dot com or wherever you podcast afterwards. Have a great weekend. Final segment of the Ron Show for the week, heading into the weekend. I'll be in uh, Tennessee, bachelor party weekend for my friends uh, Ludwig and William. A bunch of us rented a cabin. We're going to Dollywood. It's going to be a great time. Weather looks great as well. We're actually packing things with sleeves on them because maybe. Uh, Before I go, though, I want to introduce you to somebody that you may already even know and or follow. Her name is Lee McGowan. She is the woman, the force, the voice, the, the kitchen rants behind Politics Girl, which you can find on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. She actually began this project on YouTube in 2015, I believe during the rise of Donald Trump. And then, of course, she relaunched on the popular platform TikTok in 2020 during that political cycle. Her work, really important. What I love about Politics Girl is that she explains things in a way that oftentimes our political media doesn't. And it's what makes her, I think, a pretty powerful voice to follow. So if you get a chance to, whatever your social media preference is, I'd follow Politics Girl. Uh, I'm going to give you something she posted about a month ago. So it's not like completely relevant to today's headline. But actually, it is. It, it It's something that I... I, I I think I shared this on Facebook on my own personal account today and said, this should be what we wake up to every morning instead of the alarm clock, listening to this. In all of American history, we've only had four indictments of a U.S. president, and they all happened to the same man this year. So at what point are we going to stop pretending that this is normal? At what point are people going to stop trying to spin this? When will our media finally stop giving both sides and just lay out the facts? Mm. When will we stop putting liars on TV or allowing media networks to broadcast propaganda and call it news? At what point are we finally going to call a spade a spade and be like, holy shit, we made a big mistake. (laughs) The Republicans allowed a criminal to become their standard bearer, and they are scrambling now, throwing everything at the wall to try and justify or distract from what they knew to be true. We all knew from the beginning who this man was. And if so many hadn't personally benefited from Donald Trump, we might have avoided this. 
if his shady business dealings had actually been looked into, if someone had followed up on his taxes, on the dozens of sexual assault allegations, on his racist behavior towards his tenants or calling for the death penalty of the innocent Central Park Five, if we had just cut him loose when he mocked a disabled reporter mm. or called Mexicans rapists mm. or bragged about grabbing women by the pussy. Right. We knew who he was and we let it continue. We gave a narcissistic sociopath with no platform or moral compass, questionable business dealings and sketchy foreign relationships, access to the highest levels of government of the most powerful nation in the world. We made the thinnest skin man practically untouchable. We can't be that surprised he didn't want to give it up. So here we are with American democracy literally hanging by a thread, with the leading Republican candidate for president indicted on everything from conspiracy against the United States to espionage. And he is still being supported by people who choose power over morality, ruling over governing, and profit over truth. This country is sick, and we need to break the fever. So remember that the D.C. indictment includes the fact that this president and his allies were willing to declare martial law and use the military on American citizens to put down any uprisings after they illegally stayed in power. This is the same man telling us that should he win again, his plan is to centralize the power of the federal government around the presidency and purge anyone who isn't 100% loyal to him. He's telling us he wants to be a dictator and we are acting like this is just another election. The D.C. case is federal, the Georgia case is state, but both indictments lay out a detailed case of a criminal conspiracy to defraud the people of the United States. Every single thing you've heard about election interference, ballot irregularities, fake ballots, stolen elections, corrupted machines, were lies and projections from the party who wanted to stay in power against the will of the voter. Now, obviously, Donald Trump can never be given power again, but neither can the party who allowed this to happen and continues to support him now that they know what he's done. Bingo. We write this ship one way by holding everyone involved accountable, and by decimating the party that endorsed it at the voting booth. Senator Lindsey Graham was right when he said, if we nominate Trump, we will be destroyed and we will deserve it. Well, you did, you are, and you do. Her most recent filing actually spoke more to the media, and I don't have time to give you the entire thing, but I'm going to give you a taste of it. Hello, American press corps. Listen, I understand it's pretty easy to cover Trump. The man's an entertainer. He does outrageous things and says outrageous things, and you get to report on it, and then you're done. Even if he's not doing something, which is rare, he surrounds himself with this cast of characters that just make great TV. Just a smorgasbord of cartoon villains with deep pockets and ridiculous sound bites. I get it. Who wants to cover the Biden administration when you have the real housewives of criminal Washington at your fingertips? <laughs> Biden and his people are efficient and competent. They're improving the economy, passing necessary legislation, and representing America like intelligent leaders on the world stage. Boring. Boring. Who wants to report on people doing their jobs and not setting things on fire? <laughs> well, we do. The people. We want you covering people doing their jobs, and we would love it if you pointed out that setting things on fire is dangerous. Mm. If you want to highlight cheap drama, then you should be in reality television, not the news. Right. I recently did a piece breaking down the nuances of the Georgia indictment. You know, the one with the 19 criminal defendants, including our ex-president, all charged with criminal conspiracy to overturn mm. the election? It's a pretty big deal. But most of the people who watched my video commented things like, thanks for explaining this. I didn't understand. This is very helpful. Yeah, it's helpful to have things broken down so we can make informed decisions and opinions. But the question is, why am I doing it? Right. You get paid to do it. There's a bunch of us out here doing volunteer public service because you've left a giant hole in the market where contextual facts and truths should be. I mean, you talk 24 hours a day and yet you say so little. 
Nowadays, most of you aren't that much more informative than tabloids. You're selling us the same sensational stories and treating nation-shaking events like entertainment. Has research become optional? Is vetting your guests or pushing back on blatant lies just out of the realm of possibility for your corporate owners? We don't need both sides. We need the truth. You're not being fair and impartial if you're giving equal time to corruption and criminality and incompetence because you don't want to lose any viewers. All right. Follow her politics girl on your favorite social media platform. I promise you won't be disappointed. That's it for the Ron Show for this week. Back Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast afterwards. Have a great weekend.